We sang all those Jewish songs for a reason. And um, that is because as we've been going through dispensationalism, today we're going to come to the, the Israeli part of our discussion. Okay? And I love, not to mention the fact I love the Israeli tunes as we sing them. Um, last week I gave out um, some pamphlets. I have a few more left. Um, so here, why don't you do those? If you weren't here last week, if you want a color copy, it's changed already. Um, get one of those, okay? Okay, Andrew, there, okay? Okay, I'm going to print out some more um, in a couple weeks, and um, I'll give you new color copies because they're updated. So while he's passing those out, I have 12 black and white, okay, that are updated, okay? So, um, well, updated means that some of the verses today aren't going to look like what they're in that color copy. So... Um, there's more verses. So you know how it is as you study things and as you go through things, you continue to what? Lord helps you to refine things. So it's being refined as it goes. This is a, a work in progress. So when we're done in just a couple weeks, um, I'll print all those back out again. And, y'all, and whoever wants a copy can have a copy. I'm not pushing it upon you, but I know some of you um, have said it's a blessing for you to be able to um, look at that, that information. So Dispensationalism, again, big word, um, but it means it conveys a whole lot of information to those who are um, using terms, okay? And so though we don't use big terms a lot of times here, the reality is that they are out there, okay? And it's important for us to know certain words, okay? So the key, though, to this whole concept is this verse, okay? In my brain, be diligent to present yourself approved unto God, not approved to men. Okay, that's that's important. Okay, be diligent to be to present yourself approved unto God. And how do we do that? By being a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who rightly divides or clearly cuts. Okay, straight cuts the word of God. Okay, rightly dividing the word of truth is paramount to this system of interpretation. Okay. It's taking the Bible literally, believing that God said what he meant, and he meant what he said. Again, that we, we go to God's word, we read what it says, and, and we take it that way, and we cut it straight. Okay. Um, additionally, the other three distinctives that we talked about, progressive revelation, we're going to talk about each one of these at the end of the message again, and see how they're applied into what we look at today. Progressive revelation that God has continued to reveal more and more truth to his people throughout the, the centuries, okay? The, um, the, the glory of God, that God's purpose in doing all this was for his glory, not necessarily the salvation of man. Though the salvation of man is important, but the salvation of man is one of the ways where God has glorified himself, okay? And then finally, the one that we're going to be focusing on even more today, we focused on this a couple weeks ago when we were looking at the concepts of dispensationalism and how the Bible breaks it out, is the distinction between the church and Israel. And honestly, this is the one that really becomes the major point of distinction, okay? Now, you'd like to think that literal interpretation is the, the most important part, and it is. But literal interpretation, if you take the Bible literally, it leads you to the distinction between Israel and the church, okay? But if you believe that the church has replaced Israel and you start there, okay, which we don't believe that, okay? But if you start there, 
then you have to turn around and do what with the Bible? You can't take it literally. You start to allegorize it. You start to spiritualize it. You begin to make things symbolic and, and everything else. Okay, You have to change from a literal. So these two bookends of distinctives really tie everything else together. Okay, One's going to lead to the other, no matter how you do it. If you start from the top, you've got to get to, to Israel being distinct from the church. If you start with the church in Israel, you've got to be able to get to literal interpretation. Unless you say the church has replaced Israel, then all of a sudden it's going to change the way you take a lot of the prophecies and everything else that's being stated. Okay. Um, the, on the back side of that of that pamphlet, okay, I have so this is the old um, uh, chart, but on the back side of that old chart is the black and white of that. If you want one of those, you can get one of those. But I have the definition of dispensationalism as well. You can look at that, okay? How we have kind of summarized that and brought it down. But as a whole, it's a system of interpretation. Is the key that I want to bring out to you that this is it's just a system of interpretation, okay? So don't don't let it go mind-boggling over you. It's just a matter of when you open up the Bible, how do you read it? Okay? How do you take what God is saying in it? Okay? And so a dispensation is a period of time that's going to be marked by a beginning event, an increased stewardship of responsibility, okay? And you can see this on your chart, okay? Where you have, it's an initial event, you have an increased responsibility or test, okay? Then you have a failure of man, and then you have a closing event or a final event, okay? That's going to happen. So each, there are different people who believe maybe there's more things that are distinctive than each dispensation, um, whatever. I, I kind of see four, and, and I'm going to leave it there, okay? I think when you go too many, it becomes a little blurry and you're just kind of stretching, okay? But there are four distinct things that happen in each dispensation, okay? Last week, we looked at the, um, the first three of these, okay? Um, innocence, conscience, and government, okay? We saw as a whole that there are seven classic dispensations, but then I mentioned the fact that these seven classic dispensations really can be looked at as three major groupings. You have those that are before Israel, those that are during Israel, the church, and then we're going to get into this kingdom thing, which is kind of a, uh, yeah, kind of a morph. Because as I was sharing with the, the men in breakfast um, a couple of weeks ago, that is when the rapture of the church occurs, is the church going to be gone from the, from the world? Yes or no? Depends on how you define church. That's exactly right. Okay. So the true church may be what? Snatched up and taken away, but there's still going to be a lot of what? Churches, physical buildings, but people, okay, who call themselves what? Christians, and then would refer to themselves as the church, makes sense, who are going to be here. And I'm not labeling denominations. I mean, you know, I always thought, you know, wouldn't it be interesting to be, have the, the harpazo, the rapture, the snatching away of the church happen on a Sunday morning? You'd look, you know, hopefully you wouldn't look around, right? But anyways, <laughs> but if you weren't part of that, you'd look around and all of a sudden half the people or more, hopefully, are gone, right? And you go, uh... Yeah, oops. Uh, I think I had it wrong. Do you think at that moment you get it right? I hope so. You hope so. But as we look at God's word, so many times what? They don't. They begin to what? Rationalize it away. Begin to explain it away. They begin to, you know, and, and, and they still don't change their focus to God. Okay? But I'd like to think that what's going to happen right after the, the, the snatching away of the church, that there's going to be people who at that moment were going to realize what? 
they were wrong and they're going to get saved. And so there's still going to be a little bit of the what? Church on the earth. However, God's focus at that point, and we'll talk about this as we go later in a couple weeks, God's focus at that time is going to be back to Israel, okay, for seven years. And then at the end of the seven years, there's going to be the millennium where Jesus is going to come and he's going to reign on the earth for a thousand years. But we're told that we're also going to be able to reign with him, okay? And so there's going to be this blending. So though it's focused on Israel, it's going to be the culmination, really, of everything. Does that make sense? Okay? So we'll talk about that as we go, as we get there. Um, so last week we looked at innocence, the age of innocence, conscience, and government. Okay, That goes from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through Genesis chapter 11. Okay, Today we want to pick it up and look at um, the dealings of God with Israel. Now this goes all the way from Genesis chapter 12 all the way into the ends of the Gospels. Okay, So no, we are not going to actually go word for word throughout all that there's no way okay but if you're thinking time period okay this goes all the way from the call of abraham which is the beginning of israel all the way to the rejection of messiah okay now some would parse that a little bit differently and they would say maybe to the end of malachi and they would they would want to make the gospels a totally different dispensation when jesus was on the earth okay i don't want to get into breaking things down so much okay because the church we know began when? Well, the resurrection of Christ. We'll just go resurrection of Christ. Okay? Solidified at the day of Pentecost. But I think that Jesus breathed into his disciples the Holy Spirit on that night. And, and he made them the church at that moment. Now they were actualized probably on Pentecost. Okay? But the reality is that it didn't occur until after what? The resurrection. So death, burial, resurrection, all within three days. So it was the, that period of, of Christ which changes everything. That's why the cross is there, because the cross really is the, the, the most crucial event, if you think about it, that, that everything was being led up to. Okay, And so it is going to be the, the line of demarcation between Israel and the church. So let's begin in looking at this. Okay, First of all, we have this, this time of promise. And I didn't leave you blanks. Uh, um, other than space to write notes if you want them, but I gave you all the, the points and subpoints because of how much data we're going to go over. Okay, so let's talk about promise. What what begins the the whole concept of the promise? It's the call of Abraham. Okay, where does that happen at? Genesis chapter twelve. Okay, if you're looking at your notes, it's right there. Okay, so in Genesis chapter twelve, beginning of verse one, that's where we want to go. We're going to start here. Okay, so take your Bibles. Let's flip back there to Genesis chapter 12, okay? And let's see what God says to, to Abram, okay? Now, not Abraham, but his name at that point is Abram, okay? And God's later going to change his name to Abraham, okay? So, beginning of verse 1, says, Now Yahweh had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Is this a, a one-sided agreement or a two-sided agreement? One-sided. One God called Abraham and God said, this is what I'm going to do for you. Okay? So that's important. Let's go on. So Abram departed as Yahweh had spoken to him, and Lot went with him, 
And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions, and they gathered the people and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the Terebinth tree of Moreh. And the Canaanites were there, were then in the land. Then Yahweh appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to Yahweh who had appeared from him. And he moved on from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to Yahweh and called on the name of Yahweh. Okay. So, God calls, God calls Abram, and he promises to bless him. Part of the blessing, though, that God gives him is a part of this responsibility and test. Okay? God tells him that he's going to bless him and that through him, all the families of the earth are going to be what? Blessed. Okay? But what does God also tell him he's going to do? He's going to give him what? The land. He's going to give him what land? The land that he's standing on, which happens to be the land that what? Canaanites. Go step back further. Go, go back further to the call of Abram. We didn't... God called Abram and told him to do what? Leave your country and your family and do what? Go to the land I'll show you. I So part of this call, okay, is for Abram to go and be in where? Be in a specific land. To leave your land, to leave your family, and go become a new people in the land I'm going to give you. He gets to the land. He doesn't know what land it's going to be because he says it's going to be the land I show you. And then he begins to direct him. I don't know how he begins to direct him, but he begins to direct him. And he gets into the land of the Canaanites, right? And God apparently then says what? This is it. So inherent in that call, in that promise, is a responsibility. To obey. What To obey what? To stay in this land. To believe, okay? And, and I'm going to show this next week by bringing an arrow through. The, the responsibility and test, even in those, those early um, dispensations, and we're going to see today, the, the, the responsibility always is to obey. Okay? It's, it's a response of faith. Man's test is always going to be a test of faith. Your faith is always going to be portrayed in your obedience or your lack of obedience. Faith without works is dead. Okay? That's how it is. It just plays out that way. If you, whatever you have faith in is going to control what you do. So in this morning in Sunday school, we saw that, you know, that the, um, the heart is deceitful above all things and what? Desperately wicked. We, we quote that, right? And said, who will, who can what? Who can know it? Well, if you were there in Sunday school, right? We read that God says what? I know it. And as a result of knowing your heart, what's he going to do? Come on, somebody was in Sunday school. What did he say he was going to do? I know the hearts, and so therefore I'm going to what? Test the minds. In testing the minds, then I'm going to know your actions. Okay? Your heart is the seat of your passion. 
Your passion affects the way you think. The way you think ultimately affects the way you act. Does it make sense? So, where my faith is, where, where the seed of my passions are, where my faith is, is going to change everything else. It's going to change the way I think. The way I think is going to change the way I act. So, so he comes to Abram and tells Abram to do it. Now, what's the first thing we see Abram do? He leaves. He leaves his father's house, right? He leaves the land, and he what? He obeys. What does he really do? What does Hebrews chapter 11 say he did? By faith, Abram left. Exactly. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And it always, Hebrews 11 is all about this. By faith, they did this. They had faith, and therefore it was shown by their actions. Okay? So that was his test. What happens now, though? Well, now we begin to see that he immediately, immediately, just like in every other um, dispensation, they immediately begin to what? Fail the test. Go to, before we go there, go to 35, Genesis 35, because we see the reiteration of this same statement to uh, Jacob. In Genesis 35, beginning of verse 1, God says to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there. Where's Bethel? Okay, that's where Abram first went, right? Go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who are with him, put away your foreign gods that are among you, purify yourself, change your garments, and let us arise and go up to Bethel, right? So verse 4, they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands, the earrings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them underneath the terebinth tree, which was by Shechem, and they journeyed in and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them. They did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, and he and the people who were with him, and he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, the house of God, because there God appeared to him when he had fled from the face of his brother. And so we read about uh, Deborah's, uh, Rebecca's nurse dying. Verse 9, then God appeared to Jacob again, and he came from when he came from Paddan Aram and blessed him, and God said to him, Your name is Jacob, your name shall not be Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Also God said to him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you, into your descendants after you, I give this land. Okay? So again, the land is very important in this what? In this promise. Okay? So what do we begin to see though in this in the failure? Right away, immediately in Genesis chapter 12, if you go back there, okay, and you can read this, right after God gives Abraham this promise and tells him to live in the land, we read, if I would have continued on, that Abraham does what? He goes to Egypt. Why did he go to Egypt? Because there was a famine in the land. So there was a famine in the land, and he began to what? Doubt. Worry. And his worry led to doubt. Doubt what? Doubt God. Doubt God. Think about that. He doubted the provision of God. Even though he trusted the provision of God, and he left his former home place, and he walks to a place that he doesn't even know he's going, and he takes his family to get there, now he's there, 
and he begins to doubt, even though God spoke to him. Don't you ever think to yourself, if I could only hear the voice of God, if I could only see God, if I could only whatever, you know what people who have seen him, people have heard him, they still what? They still had doubts. Think of Elijah. Think about, think about what Elijah saw, and the things that Elijah did, right? I mean, he, he fought the, 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 the prophets of Baal, and he won, and the fire of God comes from the heavens, and he burns up the, 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 the altar and everything, and then right on the heels of that, Jezebel says, ever so help me, if by this time tomorrow you're not dead. And Elijah what? He runs. You think, ah, how could a guy that in tune with God who's bringing, who holds back the water, brings the rain, all this kind of stuff, how could somebody that tune with God worry about some stinking queen? I mean, really, that's, that's how we think about it, right? I mean, who's she compared to God? And yet he what? He flees. I'm so grateful that God's word reveals the failures of these men. It gives me an excuse. No, I don't mean it that way. <laughs> but it makes me realize that what? There really is no one who's what? Perfect apart from Christ. And though I may love him, I'm still yet going to what? I'm still going to fail him. And it doesn't take him by surprise. Abraham, immediately, he leaves the land. Well, he sets an example. So what do we, you can continue to read all these, okay, later. But Isaac, his son, okay, what does Isaac do when there's a famine in the land? He goes to Gerar. Why did he go to Gerar? Because that's exactly what his father did. See, his father didn't learn the first time. Abraham went to, to, to Egypt, didn't he? And when he went to Egypt, what did he do when he go to, went to Egypt? Say again? He lied about Sarah, his wife, right? He said, she's my sister. Now, she was his half-sister. That was semi-truth, okay? But the, the heart was what? Deceitful above all things at that moment, wasn't it? The reality was he was worried about what? Himself. And he was willing to risk his wife to save himself. Wow, he's fleeing the land that God had given him. And so he goes in, exactly what happens, happens, right? Pharaoh takes his wife, and God brings upon Pharaoh uh, uh, a terrible dream, okay? Because God's still going to what? Protect his plan, even when the man fails, right? So that Abraham goes back to the land, but then the family comes again later, and, and Abraham goes to, doesn't go to Egypt this time, because he learned his lesson, right? Now he goes to Gerar. And he does the same thing. Isaac had seen his father do that. And so when there was a famine in the land, what does Isaac do? He does the same thing. The sins of the father pass on to the, the sons. Be careful of that. So they begin to doubt this, this whole thing. There's the failure of the test is the idea. They continue to leave the land. And so it's a challenge to me. How many promises and blessings have God given to me? as his child, and I what? I doubt him. I begin to sacrifice him, if you would. Put him aside, worrying about myself instead. Well, there's the failure there. What's the final event? Well, the final event we see then, as we get to the end of the book of Genesis, and into the book of Exodus, 
we have the bondage of Israel in Egypt. This comes, this bondage comes as a result of Jacob leaving Egypt in the midst of a famine. Now, I want to say this for, for what I said? He leave, let Canaan go to Egypt because of famine. I want to say this on Jacob's behalf, though. Okay? Jacob stayed in the land, right? He sent his sons to get the wheat and bring it back. The sin of man, through his kids, already was working, but God uses what men mean for evil for what? For good, right? And so his, the, brother, the sons of Jacob sought to kill one of their brothers by the name of Joseph, right? And so instead of killing him, they sold him off as a slave. He was taken as a slave to Egypt. You all know the story, okay? But just kind of go through it, okay? He goes to Egypt. He works for um, Potiphar. He excels, right? But Potiphar's eye, wife also puts her eye on him. And so, you know, she wants to do improper things with him. And he says, no, but I'm going to what? I'm going to glorify God. And this would be a sin before God, so I'm not going to do that. Potiphar's wife accuses him of what? Trying to do it to her. She gets back at him, right? He's thrown in jail. While he's in jail, God again does what? Blesses Joseph, and he excels, and he's made the warden's helper, if you would, okay? And so now, what's going on in Egypt with Pharaoh, Pharaoh gets sick one day. He thinks people are trying to kill him, right? And so because he gets sick and people are trying to kill him, what happens? The Why they he doesn't fire them. He throws them in jail. There's a big difference between being fired and thrown in jail. Okay? Being, being fired, I have a chance to go get another job. Being thrown in jail, I'm kind of waiting for Pharaoh's wrath to fly past. So they're thrown in, in, in jail, and they get to talk to Joseph. Coincidence. All these what? Coincidences that are going on. So while they're in there, they have a what? A dream. In fact, they both have a dream on the exact same night, and their dreams are very similar. What a coincidence, okay? And so, huh? It must have been what they ate. That's right. They, and so, so they both then give their dreams, and threes are a part of it, right? To Joseph, and Joseph interprets their dreams and says to the butler that you're going to be restored in three days. You'll be restored to the baker in three days. Your head's going to be hanging. Okay? I imagine that the baker thought it was going to be good after he heard. The butler is going to be restored, and he, so he goes to tell his. And could you imagine the butler or the baker at that moment when he says, yeah, those birds eating the bread off your head? That's your head going off. And, um, whoa, can we have another interpretation? I want somebody else to interpret this dream. Anyways, second opinion, that's right. So, so it happens, though, exactly the way Joseph stated it, right? And so the butler goes back, and a couple months later, a couple years later, Pharaoh's having another dream, okay? And nobody can interpret the dream, and the butler says what? Oh, I can't believe my sins are before me. There was this guy who interpreted my dream. It exactly happened exactly the way he said. You know, you restored me, and, and the baker was, was killed. Just the exact same way down there, and he asked me to mention him to you, and I forgot to do that. I can't believe this. Pharaoh's like, get on with it, man. What's his name, you know? And so Joseph comes up to him. He interprets Pharaoh's dream. Joseph has made the second most powerful man in the entire world. I say that because Egypt was what? the most powerful nation in the world. Pharaoh was the most powerful man in the world. And now Pharaoh says that you will be most powerful except for me. 
What does it make Joseph? Pretty powerful, right? So all coincidence. What a coincidence. What a coincidence. That Joseph's there. Now all of a sudden, so Jacob then, okay, back to Jacob because this is where we're at. Jacob's staying in the land. He sends his brother, his sons to go get the, the, the wheat, right? They go get the wheat, but they meet who? Joseph. Joseph recognizes them. Coincidence. Coincidence. Now, you'd think Joseph would have totally embraced him at that moment and would have just started to, to do, but God chose to use Joseph in a, in a very unique way. And he allowed him to what? Test his brothers and ultimately test Jacob to bring them into Egypt. God said to Jacob that he should what? Anybody remember? Do we need to go back and look at it? God told Jacob, Go ahead and go down. Okay? So let's look at Genesis because um, this is important. Um, the very end of Genesis. I don't have that one on my sheet, so let's, let's find it together. I'm in the book of Exodus. I'm not going to find it. There we go. About Moses, and I'm thinking that is not Jacob. Chapter 46, verse 3. Thank you. Chapter 46, okay? Verse 3. Oh, sorry, verse 2. And God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, Here I am. And he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt. For I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Okay. Now, important statement. God said to Jacob, what? Go ahead and go down. And while you're there, I'm going to do what? I'm going to make a great nation of you. But I'm going to also what? Bring you back up. The point was that they weren't supposed to what? Stay there. Okay? So turn now to Exodus chapter 1. Okay? Because now they've, they've, they've gone down there and they decided what? They like it there. That's exactly right. Okay? So in Exodus chapter 1, verse 7, we read, The children of Israel were what? Fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was what? filled with them. Do you think they had opportunities to leave before that? Probably did, while Joseph was still in reign, okay? And I I could go on and just say that I think that, that their persecution began before Joseph actually um, died, okay? But we'll leave it for here. They had the opportunity to grow and multiply and still leave, but they chose to stay, okay? Now again, what, God, what man does as evil, God what? Uses for good, okay? And so he caused them to continue to grow, continue to grow. But at this point then, when they didn't leave, now all of a sudden, the, um, verse 8, there arose a new king or a new pharaoh over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. In other words, we're not going to say this right out front what we're going to do. We're going to do it shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us. And so go up out of the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And so, the punishment, the final event then, was 
Israel being thrown into slavery in Egypt. Okay? That's where we then begin to see. So Israel is already Israel at this point. Do you get it? But many times people really begin to look at Israel's history when? Say again? The slavery and coming out, the Exodus, okay? But Israel already is Israel at this point, okay? So it's a dispensation of promise, okay, where God promises the land, okay? The, the children of Israel continually did what? They left the land, okay? And so now God's going to bring them back out, okay, of Egypt, okay? And so we move now into this period of the law, okay? And the initial event that happens there is the one that we talk about an awful lot, okay, um, is the acceptance of the law. It's not necessarily the exodus. So they come out, that's some of the signs and wonders that go on at that time, but they come to this point where they come to the mountain. So right after they, they come out of Egypt, they go through the, the Red Sea, they come to the, uh, Mount Sinai, okay? And at Mount Sinai, turn to Exodus 19, at Mount Sinai, we have the giving of the covenant. So note that each one of these times we've gone to these things, God has had, again, some revelation, new revelation that he's given the people, okay? Many times it comes out as a promise or as a commitment, a covenant, okay? So as we saw with Abram and um, Isaac and Jacob, the same way. Here we have in verse nine, uh, chapter 19, Exodus 19, it says, In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt. So not much time has passed. Even though it's 19 chapters going into Exodus, it really isn't much time here coming after the Exodus, okay? On the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai, for they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and Yahweh called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Okay? So God says, this is what you want to tell them. So Moses comes down, verse 7. Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all of these words which Yahweh commanded him. Then all of the people answered together and said, All that Yahweh has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought the words of the people to Yahweh. And Yahweh said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak to you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to Yahweh. Okay? So, so God establishes this covenant, if you would, with, with Israel. Okay? And, he's, and he tells them a couple things in this. This is a, if you would, two-sided covenant. God's making a promise that he's going to do something forever, but he says within it that he wants Israel to do something. Do you get that? Say it again. Obey the law, keep the what? Keep the covenant. Keep the covenant. Words are important, okay? Now, there are going to be words of the covenant that come in the next chapter, okay? 
So if you turn then from 19, go to chapter 20, okay, what you read as the Ten Commandments literally are the words of the covenant, okay? Because God's now going to give this to Moses to give to the people. These are the words of the covenant, okay? So when he comes down with the, the, um, the tablets of stone, and he throws them and breaks them, right? What God had written on those stones were the, the, the criteria. So look at them. Number, number one, beginning verse two, okay? I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Number two, verse four, you shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness, anything that is in the heavens above or the earth beneath or what is in the water under the, under the earth, okay? You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, Yahweh your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Number three, verse seven, you shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain, or meaninglessly. Number four, verse eight, remember the Shabbat, remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Shabbat, the Sabbath of the Lord, of Yahweh your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is in your gates. For in six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And then he goes on to honor your father and your mother, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not um, bear false witness, and thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's property. But those first four are very critical. Actually, two, three, and four build on number one. Okay? Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. How does that look? Well, that means that you're not going to what? You're not going to make idols. You're not going to bow down on them. You're not going to, I mean, if you have no other gods before me, actually, literally in the Hebrew, you're not going to have any gods in my presence besides me, is the idea. I am God, and I am God alone. Okay? So if that's the case, you're not going to do what? You're not going to make any graven images, right? And you're not going to bow down to them. You're also not going to use my name without purpose, meaninglessly. You're also going to remember my special day. You're going to remember the what? Sabbath day. Now, this is the only command that he says remember in. Everything else is a you shall not, right? You shall do this, you shall not. This is the only one he says remember. Why is he remember? Because this is progressive revelation. This goes all the way back to when? Creation. God blessed the Sabbath day way back in creation. And so by their remembrance of the Sabbath day, they're really going to be testifying themselves to be believing that Yahweh is who? Their creator God, and that he did it six days, just how he said it. Amazing. God wants them to have a what? A literal interpretation. You get it? God says, remember it. Because when you remember that Sabbath day, you're going to tell everybody that you believe that myth, that story, that everybody else, even by this time, 
are starting to take as what? Just an account. Just the Gilgamesh epic. You know, there's a lot of the stories that are out there. And so they're, they're just, they were already starting to be disseminated as, well, that's just what people say, how it started. Make sense? And so you are going to make a statement by when you worship that you are going to be set apart to the God who declares that he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. Okay? Now, this is important because if you take this further, okay, this responsibility and test, turn now to chapter 31, okay? Chapter 31, because now um, Moses goes on to the mountain, okay? He goes up to the mountain, and God gives him a lot of um, law, a lot of um, precepts and such. And in chapter 31, we come to the end of it, okay? And God is speaking very clearly about the importance of the Sabbath. Verse 12, chapter 31, verse 12. Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbath you shall keep. Why? For it is a sign between me and you throughout all your generations, that you may know that I am Yahweh who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall be surely be put to death. For whoever does not, for whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh of the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does, whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout all their generations as a perpetual generation, as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign, this is critical, it is a sign between me and who? The children of Israel. How long? How long? What's forever? So here's my question. This is a little aside. This is free. Okay? If you believe in covenant theology, and you believe that the church is Israel, when should you be worshiping? Saturday. On Saturday. But you spiritualize that too. <laughs> Just saying. Literally, I mean, for me, when it comes to the, the hermeneutics and, and stuff, when you're trying to, to interpret things, okay, you've got to be consistent. If you're Israel, then God very clearly says what? You need to be doing this for how long? Forever. But you've already spiritualized the, who Israel is, and so you can spiritualize the Sabbath and make it what? Sunday. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with us meeting on Sunday. We are, right? But we're not who? Israel. Okay? This is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days, Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, and the seventh day he rested, and he was then refreshed. Okay? So God puts out this, this test, this responsibility. Okay? And so you can see um, on, on this one it says, Obey my voice. But the new one I just gave out, okay, I, I refined that a little bit. And what I have is, Keep the law and Sabbath. Serve Yahweh alone, okay? But I try to be more specific. Keep the law and Sabbath. Serve Yahweh alone. That's what they were supposed to do, okay? Now, really, honestly, um, not having idols and keeping the Sabbath were still a, a subset of what? Serving Yahweh alone. If you served Yahweh alone, then you won't make idols, you won't use his name in vain, and you will what? You'll remember the Sabbath. So what happens with Israel? Their failure, okay? 
I don't have this one on here, but where's the first time that they failed that test? Well, Moses is getting it. Well, they, you know, God just said all this, and they said everything God said, what? We'll do. And he gives them the ten words of the covenant, right? But then while Moses is up on the mountain getting the rest of it, what do they do? They make the golden calf, and they begin to worship other gods. They make idols for themselves. They totally disregard it. How long does it take to forget what God tells you specifically? <laughs> just, just a moment. I mean, it's amazing how I can be reading God's word, and I'd like to say it's Satan tempting me, but it's probably on my own flesh tempting me, and being distracted. It's just, it's bewildering to me. How can I be reading God's word and still be being tempted in my flesh? I don't get it. And yet, there's no temptation or troublesome situation that's overtaken me, but such as what? Come to man. So I can stand here and I can admit this because I know what? You guys all struggle with the same thing. Okay? I mean, it's an amazing thing. We have this war that's going within us. Romans chapter 7, Paul declares it. That I have this in my spirit to do the things of God, but within my flesh I have the desire to what? Please myself. So do you think Israel was any different? No. But what did they do? They allowed it to take root. I always think of Aaron. What's Aaron thinking? I mean, he's the priest. I mean... Well, you know, they gave me all their gold, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this, this, this bull. What a bunch of bull. Anyways, <laughs> just, that is not right. Come on, you could come up with a better excuse than that. Yeah, I just, we just threw it, and boom. Here, it just, wow, evolution happened right in front of our eyes. It just, it, and so we just took it as a sign from God that we were supposed to worship this golden calf. No, he didn't say exactly all that. I'm, I'm embellishing, but... Come on, Moses, or Aaron, what are you thinking? Why did he do it? He was afraid of the people. He was pressure. Afraid, he was afraid of the people. How many things do we want up doing that we later regret? Because we were seeking the approval of men rather than the approval of God. If it was me by myself, I wouldn't have done that. But, you know, everybody was there, and they all wanted to do it. Then why did you do it? Well, you know how it is. I mean, everybody was there, and everybody wanted Why did you do it? Did you have, did they drag you? Did they arrest you? But we do it ourselves. We struggle with it. So, immediately, they begin to do this. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Turn to Deuteronomy 4. This is God's word through Moses to the children of Israel, dealing with um, what he's going to do with them in their failures. And I think it's a really um, amazing thing. Deuteronomy 4, verse 24, begin there. For Yahweh your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you beget children, and grandchildren, and have grown old in the land, and act corruptly. How did he start that off with? When. when. Not if, but when. What does God know about us? We're, say again? Seventh day. 
everything. Yeah, we're going to fail, right? So he says, when you beget children and grandchildren, have grown old in the land, and act corruptly, and make a carved image in the form of anything, and do evil in the sight of Yahweh your God, to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day, that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you crossed over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but will utterly be utterly destroyed. And Yahweh will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where Yahweh will drive you. And there you will serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek Yahweh your God, and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. So God tells the children of Israel, look, I know what's going to happen. You're going to turn away from me. You're going to fail the test. But I want you to know that what? I'm not going to forsake you. Even when you're scattered among all the nations, there's going to come a point when you're going to what? You're going to seek me. Okay? Turn to Exodus. Or not Exodus. We already did. Jeremiah 17. We were there this morning in Sunday school. Jeremiah 17. As we begin to look at this failure, this is an injunction that Yahweh spoke against his people. Beginning of verse 19, you could, this is also the chapter where it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, right? But in verse 19, we begin reading, Thus says Yahweh, Thus Yahweh said to me, Go and stand in the gate of the children of Israel, by which the kings of Judah come in and by which they go out, in all the gates of Jerusalem, and say to them, Hear the word of Yahweh, you kings of Judah, and all Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, who enter by these gates. Thus says Yahweh, Take heed to yourselves, and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem, nor carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day, nor do any work but hallow the Sabbath day, as I commanded your fathers. But they did not obey, nor incline their ear, but made their neck stiff, that they might not hear nor receive instruction. And it shall be, if you heed me carefully, says Yahweh, to bring no burden through the gates of the city on the Sabbath day, but to hallow the Sabbath day, to do no work in it, then shall enter the gates of the city kings and princes sitting on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their princes, accompanied by the men of Judah and the heavens of Jerusalem. And this city shall remain forever. And they shall come from the cities of Judah and from the places around Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin, from the lowland, and from the mountains from the south, bring burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings and incense, bringing sacrifices of praise to the house of Yahweh. But if you will not heed me to hallow the Sabbath day, such as not carrying a burden when entering the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. Do you remember when even Israel came, finally came back after the exile? Nebuchadnezzar, uh, sorry. Nehemiah built the walls right, and he became the governor. What was one of the things, first things he instituted? Close the gates before the Sabbath. No buying and selling. He, he read this. He heard, he heeded it. Nehemiah went back to be with the king for just a short period of time. And when he came back to check on everything, what did he find? Buying and selling on the They're buying and selling on the Sabbath. 
If you go to the beginning of chapter 17 of Jeremiah, you'll find out that they were sacrificing to idols. In the same time, they're sacrificing to God in the temple. Before that, they go into they're sacrificing to Asherah and Baal. And then they turn around and go to sacrifice to Yahweh, thinking that everything's good. So it's like going to church on Sunday and then living like the world the rest of, you know, you're doing all your sacrifices the rest of the time. But it's okay, as long as I'm making a sacrifice to Yahweh, I'm good, and I can make my sacrifice to all these other illicit gods all I want. It doesn't work that way. God's going to hold his children accountable. And so the three things he said to them, right? He says, well, primarily that I want you to serve me, but then underneath it, it's what? Don't make idols? Remember the Sabbath day. What did the children of Israel do? They made idols, and they did what they wanted to do on the Sabbath day. Do you remember when in the United States you couldn't go to the grocery store on Sunday? Okay, don't, don't shake your hands. Don't put up your hands. Don't say a word. How many times a year do you go to the grocery store on Sunday? Don't tell me, oh, I don't do that because that's super righteous. Don't do that. And don't tell me you do it every Sunday because it really makes me feel bad. And so, but just think to yourself, when they first were voting on that, what did you think about that? What an atrocity. I can't believe they're going to do this on, on the Sabbath day or on Sunday. Da, 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 da. But now all of a sudden we what? Do you go to restaurants on Sunday? I'm not going to ask you if you go to the, the, the bar or if you go to the, uh, the wine store, okay? But that was the next step as it went on down, wasn't it? Now they're going to have to get rid of the blue laws, you know, because the blue laws change all the time. Anyway, so now we can buy and sell what? Alcohol. The big deal now is the, the limitation of not being able to do it until after 11 o'clock or whatever. I can't remember whatever time it was. They want to now reduce the time because there's people who don't go to church, and they're like, if you're going to limit me, I can't drink my alcohol alcohol until all these people get out of church. And so now they want to change that. Think about that. All those laws originally stemmed from the Sabbath law concept, honoring God's day. How quickly, how quickly we morph into what the world does. This is just the way the world does it. So I'm good with that. Are you? Or is what God declares the way should be? How quickly do we forget to hallow God? Through Peter, God told us to be holy even as I am holy. Israel failed the test. The ultimate rejection then was when God himself came to the earth. Now, we don't have time to get into all this. We might start off with this next week. But God himself, Yahweh, came in the flesh. He came to his people. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them he gave the what? The privilege, the power, the authority to be called the sons of God. But we know he came unto his own, and his own received him not. He came to Israel, and Israel rejected him. When was, now we see the rejection at his birth, but when's the ultimate rejection? At the cross. He comes into, the, comes into Jerusalem on what I think is the 10th day of Nisan, okay, which we call uh, Palm Sunday. Thank you. Okay? And they're declaring, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? And then four days later, what are they doing? 
crucify him, crucify him. Now, I don't know if it was all the same people. But it was the, the, the crowd that was there. And nobody what? Cried out against it, the injustice. It was God's plan. But the rulers of the people were the ones who made the decision. Tell us plainly if you're the Christ. I am. Ah, you heard the blasphemy. You really didn't want to know. <laughs> you just wanted to what? Have a stamp of approval on your decision you've already made. They rejected him. They rejected God himself in their midst. Their rejection couldn't be more plain. So what happened? Israel set, God set aside his people Israel for what is now almost 2,000 years. You can read what Jesus says to them about the city and how it's going to be destroyed as a result of all this. And in 70 AD, what do we see happen? God uses Rome to go and destroy them. Not just the city, but what else is destroyed at that point? His own house. God had done that before, didn't he? He destroyed the Solomonic Temple. He allowed it to be rebuilt, called for it to be rebuilt. But when the people defiled, if you would, his temple, God allowed it to be destroyed again. Now, I want you to think real quick, because I've got to end here, okay? This is, oh, actually, I've got to do the fourth one here. Let, let's, let's go, and let's do this real quick. Literal interpretation. What, how does this play out for us? Okay? When we're looking at this, I want you to think about this. Abraham. We didn't talk about this a lot, but I want to bring it up here. Okay? Abraham. When God gave Abram the promise of having a son, how old was Abram? 75 years old. How long did it take for God to fulfill that promise? Not how long did it take God to fulfill that promise, but you know what I'm saying. How long was it until that promise was fulfilled? 25 years, which means that Abram was what? 100 years old. How old was Sarai? 90. Now, if you believe the Bible is literal, then you really believe what? A 90-year-old woman gave a birth to a baby, and then you know what she did? She raised him. She raised him. How amazing was that? I mean, she lived long enough. She lived that long. She lived that long to raise him up. Okay? What an amazing thing. What else happened there as far as that literal interpretation? Well, you can look at the, the Red Sea parting, right? You can look at the, the voice of God coming down on the mountain, okay? But what about salvation? Salvation has always been by what? Faith. Because Abraham what? Believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, okay? So, again, that comes from a what? A literal interpretation. What about progressive revelation, okay? The transition we saw here, there's a transition from oral law to written law. Prior to Moses, everything is what? Oral. But Moses is the one who is actually the scribe, if you would, who wrote Genesis through Deuteronomy, okay? Even though Phineas probably wrote the, the Deuteronomy, but it was Moses who was declaring it, okay? So, that point comes then at this point. We have a transition from oral, um, oral giving it to the, to the written law. Um, and then the cleaning up. Oh, I didn't bring this up. I want to bring this up. This is huge. Um, the cleaning up of the sacrificial system. Um, I don't have a lot of time for this, but this is fun stuff. Okay? The liberals love to look at the Jewish sacrificial system, and they love to say 
this is against the scriptures, okay? That Israel's sacrificial system is just an amalgamation of all the sacrificial systems of all the other religious systems that were in the day. So when Moses brings them out, there were all the other nations that what? Sacrificed. They had these religious systems. They had sacrifices. They came from Egypt where they did this. And so all Moses did, because again, the Bible just what? Contains the word of God. It's not the word of God, right? So what all Moses did was, as a, as a leader, he knew that their people needed to have a religious system. So he went out to all the different nations and he amalgamated what they should do and he put it together and gave it to them. But using the literal interpretation in, in progressive revelation, okay, do you know what, what really happened there? I want you to think about this. Sacrificial systems. When did they start? Did they start with the Ammonites? Did they start with the Ammonites? No. No, it wasn't even Noah. Well, it wasn't the garden. We, we, can, we, can, we can say that whether God gave, did a sacrifice with the, the, the goat skins. But we do know, yeah, Genesis chapter 4. That's where we started all this. In the process of time, Cain and Abel each brought a what? An offering. An offering. Okay? One of them, yeah, one of them was, okay, but it been an offering. There was a religious oblation that was given to God. Does it make sense? It was a religious system. And then we see that continue out so that when Noah goes on the, comes off of the ark, the first thing he does is does what? He, he has a sacrifice. But before he went on the ark, he already knew about it because when he went on the ark, he didn't just take two of everything, right? He actually took two of everything except for clean animals. So there already was a distinction of what was what? Clean, which was going to be used for sacrifices. Do you get it? So clean and unclean isn't a mosaic law thing. It actually was from before. Do you know what happened on the mountain? God cleaned it up. God had given revelation. Man had what? Distorted it. God comes to Moses and says, no, look, this is my intent. This is how I want it. And so we go from oral to written to write it down. So now God is giving that revelation, okay, in a written way progressively so that now they have it. Now he gives to Israel then a little bit more specific now because now he's choosing Israel as a nation, right? And he gives them even a little bit more. But it's fun stuff. I mean, I love when people ask me those kinds of questions, you know, so where did Israel get their sacrifices? I want to ask you the question, where did all those other people get their sacrifices? I mean, if you want to play the game, just keep going back. They got them from God. They just what? They, they messed them up. Okay? The glory of God. Okay? So, in all this, really, what happens here? Okay? Well, you can, I think I have this, do I have all those verses referenced for you? Exodus 6, 7, 29, all that on your summer note sheet? You do? Okay. You look them up, okay? God is all about his glory. And what's happening here is that when the children of Israel fail, it's bringing a what? A bad reputation to, to God, okay? The distinction between Israel and the church, boom, we're here. Last week we said, well, it's not here yet, but now we're here. And you can see the physical person and in, in, in nation, Abraham, the, the promises that were there, okay? And then the perpetual promise to Israel and to David. We'll come back to the perpetual promise to David, okay? In two weeks from now, two weeks, yeah, two weeks when we come to the kingdom, because the kingdom is all about the, the, the covenant that God made with David, okay? And so we'll come back to that and discuss that. So in the end, 
Do you believe that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that he could ever ask or think, even to the point of having a 90-year-old woman give birth? No? How many of you women here are 90 years old or above? Hmm. This is a this is a powerful statement here, ladies. Okay, because they laughed when God told Sarah, Sarah, that she was going to have a baby within a year because she was past that time. So this is my question to you: If God wanted you to have a baby right now, even if you're past that time, can God do that? Make sense? Okay. It's just it's, it, you don't think about it until you really start putting yourself into those positions. The older I get, the more closer I get to that position. You know, and I go, "Oh God, don't do that to me." Anyways, and so, but the reality is what? God could do that. God could even allow me to live to 130. Abraham, he lived how long? Anybody know? Hmm. I was thinking 175. I think Jacob was 156. And so, anyways, but he can make me, and so whatever it is, but the point is he can make me live, what? Long enough as well to raise that kid if he wanted to. Okay? He can do those things. Do you believe that God keeps his promises? Yes. I hope so. But you know what? We live it out, whether we really believe it or not. What is your view of the nation of Israel? Is it consistent with God's? There's so much we could go on with this, okay? And, and we're just tinging on, on the edges of it, okay? That it's going to affect our politics. You know, what you think about God and what his plan is. So Israel's a nation again. Is that part of God's promise right now? Is this prophetic? You know, how do we deal with that as Americans? Well, if they're the seed of Israel, or of Abram, God says, through Abram, I will bless those who what? Bless you and curse those who curse you. Does that promise still apply? You know, is God doing that? You know, is he going to curse those who are trying to destroy Israel? Is he going to bless those who are seeking to defend Israel? Who or what ultimately is the authority for determining truth? Hopefully, again, these are all no-brainers, right? Hopefully you say God. But do you really mean that? When it comes to things that you don't like or you don't agree with, in the end, or that's right, who are you serving? Okay, are you serving God or your flesh? And then finally, is there a need to change the way you think and ultimately change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you that your word is true, it's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And Lord, that you desire for us to come to all truth. You have sent the Holy Spirit to reside within us upon faith in Christ in order to lead us into all truth. And so, Lord, I believe that. I believe by faith, Lord, that, that you will guide me in your word, that you haven't left me to flail on my own. So God, protect me from seeking to make interpretations by myself. Protect this assembly, Lord, from seeking to, to look things on our own and starting with doctrine and, and not starting with your word. Lord, help us to read your truth, to read your word, and illumine our minds, Lord. Help us to understand. Lord, help us to be faithful to apply that which you have revealed in your, in your word for a reason. God, I pray that even this week as we look toward next week and having a celebration of the, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ in his return. Lord, that, that we would be in preparation for this time, Lord. Not that we can make ourselves more holy to please you even better, but God, that 
knowing that Christ is coming back and that we are going to be changed to be like him, Lord, you've said that those who have this confidence, those who have this hope, seek to purify themselves. Lord, that's an application of this truth. Lord, help us to apply it in our lives, not just to punch our tickets on Sundays. In Jesus' name, amen.